Stan the Fan, the bat around, and joining us right now, somebody I've been looking forward to talking to, and that is uh, Jim Callis of MLB.com and MLBPipeline.com. Jim, thank you for taking some time out of what I know is an exciting day for you. Yeah, no problem. It's uh, Top 100 Prospects Day. It is Top 100 Prospects Day. Can you give me, first of all, I get confused at my age now. I just turned 66. Was it you that started the the Top 100 Prospects, which was originally Top 50? No, well, no. We, baseball, the, the first play, I was at Baseball America, and in 19, I want to say it was 1990, the Sporting News did a Top 100 Prospects, and I think it might even have been a book that was done okay. by Rob Raines, who also wrote for Baseball America at the time as well. And I remember seeing that and telling the guys, we were a much smaller staff at Baseball America back then, telling the guys, look, you know, we're the experts on this stuff. We should be doing a top 100 prospects list. So we, we launched the first Baseball America top 100 prospects list in 1990. Um, and then I've only been at MLB.com for the last five years. I know they were doing a a top prospects list. It started off as a 50 and became a 100. But I'll be honest, I don't off the top of my head know what the first year they did theirs was. It might have been around 2000 or so. All right. And and clue me in. So I refer to it as the show tonight at eight o'clock. This will be unveiled on MLB.com or the MLB TV station. But what is MLB Pipeline? Is that a is that a sort of an adjunct website that people can look up for just prospect information? Yeah, it's the prospect section of the MLB.com. Web, uh, of the MLB.com overall website. So it's MLB Pipeline is where we put all of our prospect stuff. And, and the nice thing is with our site is, is everything's free. Like they're, they're, everything is available. There's no password. There's no subscription price. Everything we do is 100% free at MLB Pipeline and MLB.com. All right. Well, I like the sound of that because a lot of stuff is going to try and, and get these paywalls uh, and free sounds good to me. Uh, we're talking with Jim Callis of MLB.com and MLBPipeline.com. I was looking up, I don't think you want to unveil much of, of the 2018 tonight, but I was looking at the 2017 last night, and I had forgotten that you had Shohei Otani as number one last year. Well, we put him on the list. I mean, our list is, is a little different than other lists because we kind of update it quasi-updated all the time. We don't, okay. like, for instance, you know, I know you're there in Baltimore. Like, when Austin Hayes emerges, we don't really have a mechanism to say, hey, we have Austin Hayes too low, let's move him up. But what we do do is if you have a guy who graduates to the big leagues, because he, you know, like, let's say, you know, Aaron Judge was on our list to start last year. Mm-hmm. Once he's played enough to, to, you know, lose his rookie eligibility going forward, then we take Aaron Judge off our list and add a guy. And, and similarly, with a guy like Otani, who signed in December, when guys like that sign, we add them to the list. Gotcha. So he was, he was not on the list. The list that's on our 2017 list that's on our site is, is essentially our list that we did last July and then we moved off guys who graduated in the second half of the season and added some new guys toward the end. And then we added Otani when he signed in December. All right. Now I, now I understand that a little bit better. Also, you moved pretty quick to change affiliations. I noticed that Lewis Brinson, uh, who, was, who was number 13 on your list, uh, was already marked as now a Miami Marlin. Right, and, and 
and that's the other thing that we update too. I forgot about that. If there's a trade like the other day, we saw the the, the big Christian Yelich trade. We immediately, you know, we didn't we didn't change where Brinson was on the 2017 top 100, but we do immediately switch him over to the Marlins. And then we take him off our Brewers list, add some new Brewers to that list, and then insert him and Monte Harrison and Isan Diaz on the Marlins list where we feel is appropriate. So, yeah, we, that's our thing. It's, it's, it's weird because it, it gets a little confusing because yeah. we do stuff like that. It looks like we updated it just yesterday. But then you look, and there's a guy, and I don't have it right in front of me. You know, Austin Hayes is much lower because we updated that list in July than he will be when we you know, had the new list come out tonight. Like, I think he's number 89 on the top 100. And without giving too much away, I mean, that's at least 60 or 70 spots too low for where he really deserves to be. But we don't have a way to update that. So it's, it's confusing where, you know, again, it looks like we updated it yesterday, which we did for the Yelich trade. Right, I got you. But we don't update the existing guys. So it's, it's, there's no perfect way to do it, but we do try to respond to, to guys changing organizations or signing or whatever. I found it very timely that, that I could see that Diaz and Brinson were already on, on the Marlins, so I knew that. Um, let's start with that trade, Christian Yelich, without, again, asking you to give me numbers on the 2018 how did the Marlins make out in their return for Christian Yelich? Well, I thought that was by far the best of the trades they made. I, I, I hated the Stanton trade. I didn't really like the Marcelo Zuna trade. D. Gordon trade wasn't as bad. But, you know, you, you can't – anybody who's been in the fantasy league, you can't go around and tell everybody, hey, i got to trade this guy, I'm going to trade this guy, because when you do that, you're not going to get the best offers. You give all your leverage away. Yep. And in this case – they played the Yelich deal a lot smarter. I mean, I think everybody knew Yelich wanted out, but they didn't have to trade him. He wasn't making a ton of money. to you know, They'd gotten their payroll down close to where they wanted it, so it wasn't where they were going out and telling everybody, oh, geez, we have no money. We've got to get rid of this guy. Give us 10 cents on the dollar. So I like the trade. I mean, I liked it from the Brewers' standpoint, too. I mean, from the Brewers' standpoint, they gave up two outfielders, and they have plenty of outfield depth. And then they went outside Lorenzo Cain. So, I mean, it's, it's not like they didn't have outfielders to spare. I do like Isan Diaz, but they have a better bat first second baseman in Keston Hira, who was their first-round pick this year. And Yamamoto's interesting, but he wasn't a top prospect. So from the Brewers' standpoint, you kind of gave away you know, players who were going to be redundant. You, you had better mm-hmm. options. From the Marlins' standpoint, I think Brinson and Monte Harrison, the two outfielders they got, are their two best prospects. Um, they're both very good athletes. They both have 30-30 potential. There are some swing and miss concerns with those guys, but um, they're, they're both very talented, um, and they could be 30-30 guys. Diaz had a, a bad year this year. He, he dealt with some injuries, but the two years before that, he was one of the best hitting young middle infield prospects in baseball. So I liked him, and, and Yamamoto is a guy who, who doesn't have overpowering stuff but, but misses bats. He's, he's got a high spin rate for people who are into that. So it, that, that one made more sense to me. I mean, I do think the problem with the Marlins going forward is they didn't get enough for Stanton. They didn't get enough for Azuna. They should have gotten a lot more. And the problem is they have that they had going into last year like one of the worst farm systems in baseball. I mean, right. and it had been for a couple of years. And now, you know, especially with this last trade, it's improved, but it's probably, you know, in the 15 to 20 range if you were ranking all the farm systems in baseball. And so the problem is it, it's not like you have a lot of building blocks on the big league club and you're waiting for prospects to arrive. You, you basically have JT Real Muto and not much else at all 
on the big league club. And so even if the you know some of these guys aren't going to pan out. I mean that's the way prospects are. They're not all going to be as good as we think they're going to be. But you know even if the you know let's say they're they're, they're luckier than most teams and more of these guys pan out than, than normally do. I, I just don't think there's enough in the farm system to add to a, a, a big league team that's basically been stripped to have much of a club when you're done with all that. So I uh, I think you know they, they've reduced their payroll. Okay, they, they, yeah. they accomplished that goal. They accomplished but, like, that they're going to be bad for a while. Uh, one of the things that struck me in going over last night, I found myself sometimes when I see the the top one hundred a uh, top one hundred list, I want to see how many players each team has, and it struck me as interesting that seven teams have forty one of the top one hundred prospects. I might be off a number or two. But San Diego's got six, Philadelphia's got six, Atlanta, even with their problems, has seven, Tampa has seven, Yankees, White Sox have five each, uh, and Cincinnati has five each. So a lot of teams have zero prospects uh, or one on that top 100 list. Yeah, and on our, our new list, I don't have it all sitting right in front of me right now. I know on our new list, and I, I can give this away. We have, yeah. We've been briefed on what we're allowed to talk about in advance. Uh, on the new list, the Braves have more prospects than anybody with eight, and the Padres and White Sox have seven each. Yep. And I do think those are probably the three best farm systems uh, in baseball. I, I would rank the Padres as the best farm system, and then I would go with the – with the White Sox two and the Braves three, although that one's a little bit closer, but uh, you know it, it, it's not always that kind of correlation. But uh, in this case, the, the three teams that will have the most prospects on our our new list that's out tonight do have the three best farm systems in baseball. Where where do you think the Orioles are? Uh, you know, for, and this goes back, in fairness to Peter Angelos and Dan Duquette, this goes back to the early '80s after Ripken. There was about a 15-year period where I think they developed David Segui from from their own farm system. They had traded for Chris Oils and Brady Anderson, and it didn't get much better in the two, early 2000s where only Brian Roberts and Marcakis kind of came up through the system. Where are they now, though, because it does seem like they have some talent percolating in the system. Yeah, I mean, you know, for a long time, the Orioles have not had one of the better farm systems in baseball. They've ranked in the bottom half or even closer to the bottom yep. for a couple of reasons. One, they they just have not if, – if, I don't have, you know, numerical data in front of me, but if you were, you know, to look at the value that teams have gotten out of the draft in the last 15 or 20 years, the Orioles have gotten less than most clubs. Yep. And secondly, and this kind of still baffles me, they're really the one team that doesn't pursue Latin American talent. Um, totally punt the whole they punt yeah, the which, whole. Yeah, I mean it's not like they've signed guys and they haven't pan out. They just don't sign guys from Latin America, which is crazy to me when you look at, you know, I mean, I mean I think the top 6 players on our top 100 prospects list tonight we're all international signees. Mm-hmm. And if you just look at the big leagues, I mean, you know, what is it? A third of the players are, are from foreign countries. Yep. And, and so that makes it very difficult when you're just ignoring that. I, I do think the Orioles, I mean, they're not, they're probably, they would probably be kind of in that middle of the pack range, right. too, where I was talking about the Marlins, which is a noted improvement. I mean, you've got, you know, Austin Hayes, who I touched on a little bit, Ryan Mountcastle's a very interesting hitter. Um, Chance Sisko is one of the best catching prospects in baseball. They've got some interesting lefties and guys like D.L. Hall and Tanner Scott and Keegan Aiken. Um, 
I do like uh, Hunter Harvey. You know, it's just a question of health with him. I mean, he's, he, he will not be in our top 100 tonight. He's that caliber of prospect. If he stays healthy, he, you'll see him on our list at midseason. Cedric Mullins is another guy who has, uh, I think, really exceeded expectations. I think a guy like Cody Sedlock can bounce back. So, I mean, there is some talent in the farm system. I think it's deeper than it's been in, in a while. Um, and it'll be interesting to see how some of these guys develop, but it's still not, I mean, I would not put it in necessarily the, the, the upper tier of farm systems by any means. And I still just remain baffled by the decision not to touch Latin American prospects at all. Let me possibly give you an answer there. I, I live here in Baltimore and have followed the Orioles pretty darn closely since I started my radio career around 1981-82. They have an owner who's now 89 years of age and he is probably, Ross Grimsley pointed this out to me in the baseball, not the Baseball America Almanac, the one that has the list how organizations, uh, the organizational uh, depth in different categories. And he pointed out to me how thin the Orioles scouting staff is. Yeah. And I'm wondering if Dan Duquette said, if Peter Angelos isn't going to give me the the financing to really have a, a top-caliber scouting department, why am I going to try and hit or miss on guys that I really don't have coverage for? Maybe we're better off always trading out of that and getting some fringe prospects that at least our people have put eyeballs on. Is that um, a possibility? Guess, maybe, although, I mean, I, Doesn't I mean defend obviously it. it comes from ownership. I yeah. mean, you only have the... You know, they, they, I think they list two, like in our director, in the Baseball America director, I think they list two international scouts in Latin America, which is crazy. Yeah. And, and like, if it's a question of resources, yes, you know, I mean, that's probably a decision that comes from ownership. And I'm not picking on Dan here, and yeah. I'm sure Dan's probably tried, but if that's the case, Dan probably needs to try to convince Peter Angelos that they need to invest in Latin America. Because the problem is, when you, when you, when you ignore that, there, there's too many talent. It's hard enough to find talented players. And if you just ignore a whole demographic, it's like during when, when Moneyball was in vogue and people were saying, hey, you know, you know there's this thought, uh, you know, college players are better than high school players, which wasn't true if you actually studied it closely. But, but the book kind of popularized that myth. Yeah. But there are enough players in the draft to just say, well, we're going to ignore high school players. I mean, if you ignore high school players, I mean, I'll just take the Orioles, for example, then you wouldn't have drafted Manny Machado. Right. Um, <laughs> you wouldn't have drafted Chance Sisko. Uh, you wouldn't have drafted Ryan Malcastle. Those are th- three of their best young hitters. Um, you know, you look at, you know, they got Scope out of, out of the Netherlands Antilles. I mean, yep. he's one of their better guys. Yep. Um, so you, you just, you can't, the talent is so precious, you just can't ignore, yeah, I... you know, one, one area of it. So, and, and the other problem is, is when you do, you're signing these guys, for the most part, at 16, 17 years old. And so even in the best, you know, unless you get, like, a superstar like a Vladimir Guerrero Jr. or, you know, or, or, you know like a Miguel Cabrera years ago, you know, usually it's going to take these guys, you know, five, six years to develop. So the, the problem is, even if, like, the Orioles today decided, hey, yeah, we need to invest. We're going to go all in on Latin America or we're going to at least be representative like the other teams are. Even if they started just crushing it, it's going to be three to five. It's going to be three to five years before you get any impact. That's what I'm saying. It's going to be 2023 before you see some of these guys really do anything. So that's the problem. It's twofold. You're missing out on talent, and then when you get started back up, it's not like 
okay, you know, we're going to start back up and then we'll reap the benefits in a couple of years. It's going to take a while. We're talking with Jim Callis of MLB.com and MLBpipeline.com. The top 100 prospects for 200, 2018 are debuted tonight. It's on a TV show, right, on uh, MLB? Uh, MLB? Yeah, MLB will be on MLB Network at 8 Eastern. And at the same time, if people don't have MLB Network, um, you can watch the show live on MLB.com as well. All right, and that- what's cool is we'll have Jonathan Mayo and Mike Rosenbaum and I, who put together the list, will be live tweeting and answering questions. And we'll also have, I think it's eight prospects, or at least eight, maybe a few more of the top 100 prospects will be live tweeting as well. All right, I got a couple more quick questions for you. Sure. Your 2017 list, which you explained was updated in sort of July, has Otani at number one and Brendan McKay at number 20. Both are considered two-way players. Is this something we're going to see more and more of, or do you think they are totally an anomaly? I think it's more of a unique situation, and there were some other interesting guys last year who, you know, Hunter Green, who went number two overall, the Reds, although he's going to be strictly a pitcher. The Royals had a guy named Nick Prado. They took in the first round who was a two-way guy. I think they're more of an anomaly, and I'm not really sure how it's going to play out. With, with Otani, he's kind of a special case. I mean, they changed the CBA, and so he, if, he'd, if he'd waited two more years to come over under the current rules, he probably would have signed for over $200 million. Yep, he would have been. Um, and, but he gave away that power, but he did have the leverage. He, he wants to play both ways. He wants that challenge. So you, aren't, you weren't going to sign Shohei Otani without allowing him to, do, to both hit and pitch. Now, that said, I do think most teams prefer him as a pitcher, although he's a very talented position player, too, and there are some teams that, that think he, he might be you know, as good or better as a position player. I honestly do think that, given, you know, maybe, you know, I don't think the Angels would say this publicly, but I'd say most teams would have Otani focus on one. Like, like if, if, you had, if, if, you, if he didn't have the leverage to say, I want to do both, I think you would just let Otani pitch. Yeah. Um, you know, maybe pinch hit here and there. With McKay, it'll be interesting. Um, you know, he did both at Louisville. He, he was the best two-way player in college baseball three years in a row. Um, he actually, I, I know that it, it was, he was interesting because the first three teams in the draft last year all liked him more as a pitcher. The Rays had picked fourth and took him, and the Braves liked him more as a hitter. I mean, not that it was, like, one-sided, but that's just the way they felt. He actually had more success in his pro debut, small sample size, as a pitcher, and he wants to do both, and the Rays are going to try to let him do both. I'm of the opinion, I mean, having talked to people, if it were me, I would rather have a guy focus on one and be as good as he could at that one endeavor rather than maybe getting him to be less than he can be on on both sides of the ball. And I I just think the physical toll... Is is just very difficult to do both. Now, in McKay's case, it'd be first base. Otani's case, he's going to DH. So it's, I mean, you know, Hunter Green, who I mentioned, was a shortstop. You know, you, you can't play shortstop and pitch. It's too much toll on your arm. But I, I just think with with you know, as difficult as it is to be good, really good, you know, is either just a hitter or a pitcher. It takes a lot out of you to try to do both. But it'll be interesting to see. I, I like, and I'm torn. I mean, as a I'm not in charge of an organization. Like, if I was running a team, I would want these guys to do one. As a fan, <laughs> I'm totally interested in seeing how they do it both. Like, I, I'm curious to see how it plays out um, with Otani and Brendan McKay. But I, I don't think we're going to see a lot of this. And it really wouldn't surprise me if with McKay, you know, when he's starting to do this over a full season, I mean, you know, the college season is about 60 games long, and he was tired at the end of the college season, if – 
by the end of the year, the Rays have decided they're just going to have him focus on one or the other. One quick, one quick thing. I had Dan O'Dowd on about six weeks ago, and he sort of said the same thing you did, that he thinks that Otani could be great at one or the other. You know, either a great hitter or a great starting pitcher. What about the notion of taking one of these guys, using the hitting tool as an everyday player, trying to use them in the seventh or eighth inning, almost like a co-closer, co-setup man who comes in and can go right back out in the field? Do you think we'd ever see somebody have the guts to do that, or the, or is it too risky injury-wise? Um. I think it would depend on the position. Again, if you were like a first baseman or an outfielder or DH, you could do that. Yeah. And it, you know, it's funny. I mean, Dan's awesome. We Dan's actually on the show tonight. He, we taped the show with Dan I love yesterday, Dan. and I, and known... I love working with Dan. And we 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 had that same conversation. Or I think he again would have a guy do one. Yeah. And he's run teams, but he also, as a fan, was saying he kind of wants to see how it plays out too. The, the, with the two with these two guys, McKay is more of that. You know, not a crafty lefty, because that makes it sound like he throws 85 miles an hour, but McKay's not an overpowering closer type. McKay commands his fastball well. He's got a good curveball, but he's like kind of a low 90s guy. I don't think McKay's the type of guy who would come in and you know be able to close down games, or he doesn't mm-hmm. have that kind of stuff. Now, that said, you could maybe if McKay, and I like McKay better as a hitter. Let's say McKay's your everyday first baseman. Maybe you use him as a situational lefty. That's exactly what um, I'm talking about. You know, you about. could do that because that would be interesting. Yeah. Although, then I don't know if you like use him and then you put it back at first, you know, who you have stationed at first. But it, yeah. it would be interesting. Uh-huh. With Otani, and I like Otani better as a pitcher, but with Otani, you could do that because yeah. Otani's got, you know, he's, he's thrown the fastest pitch ever in Japan at 102.5 miles an hour, and he's got a wipeout slider and a wipeout splitter, and his stuff is more overwhelming. Than his control and command, which aren't bad, but they're not they're not sharp. They're just kind of okay. And so Otani would kind of maybe fit that role. Now that said, I do think there's more desire among most teams to have Otani as a pitcher. So I don't think they necessarily yeah do that. But but you but he would have he would kind of fit that profile of the type of guy who could do that. Uh, McKay would be McKay to me has more value as a starting pitcher than he would as a yeah, as a as late a inning late guy. inning guy. All right. Um, I don't know what your schedule is, but uh, could we try and get you on sometime in the next month to talk about this year's uh, sure. program? Okay. Uh, again, 8 o'clock tonight on MLB TV, or you can stream it at MLB.com. Top 100 prospects revealed with uh, our guests Jim Callis, Jonathan Mayo, and, of course, uh, my friend Dan O'Dowd will be on the show as well. Jim, thanks very much for joining us. No, great talking to you. Thanks All a lot. Right. There you go. Jim Callis.